My name is Lindy, and welcome to Life in Pieces. This is a podcast that takes an autobiographical view on my life and the little pieces that many may not know. And even if you happen to be one of the people that knows me a little bit better, well, you just get more detail and background information. So I want to take a moment and thank my listeners. The very first episode I did, which I released a couple weeks ago, starting with the edges, it went over very well. And I am very appreciative of the constructive and positive feedback I received. I'm hoping to take a lot of that feedback and put it back into this podcast and improve with each episode. And I am grateful for this opportunity to be able to share my story with you. So thank you, listeners. I appreciate it. Before I get into today's topic, I wanted to talk briefly about jigsaw puzzles. After all, this podcast is called Life in Pieces. I received a lot of comments from friends who listened to my very first episode that had no idea I was so into jigsaw puzzles. I guess I did not realize I didn't advertise this. And I will tell you, since this pandemic and quarantine, I have made a lot more effort to vocalize my love of jigsaw puzzles, including creating an Instagram to share my love for it. And I will put those in the show notes. Um, I'll put my handle in the show notes. So if you want to follow me, feel free to, no pressure to at all. But I post pictures of my puzzles and just the fun, kind of colorful, exciting puzzles I tend to do. But prior to the pandemic, I probably averaged one or two puzzles a month. My new normal, and it remains to be seen if this trend continues after the pandemic, as this pandemic is still going strong, but I typically do about two 1,000 piece puzzles every weekend, typically one on Saturday and one on Sunday. Now, I mainly do two a weekend because I don't have a lot to do and these puzzles take some time and I really use it as an escape, which I desperately need right now during this pandemic. But let me tell you, the amount of puzzles I have purchased during this pandemic is possibly a little crazy. Back in March, April, May, and really even into June, finding jigsaw puzzles was difficult. Sites were sold out. They weren't really producing any either as I'm pretty sure factories that make jigsaw puzzles were evaluating safety protocols in response to COVID-19 So the production wasn't happening very fast. Stores were selling out because like me, a lot of people use jigsaw puzzles as a time waster and we all of a sudden found so much more time on our hands. So stores were not stocked. You could go on Amazon and find puzzles, but honestly, people were price gouging their their stock uh, because pandemic. So you could buy some, but you might be spending $20, $30 on a puzzle when normally At the store, I spend like nine to 15, depending on the brand and size. So it was really hard to come by puzzles, but I joined a Facebook group uh, for Jigsaw Puzzlers and I am so grateful that I did because it gave me a resource, several resources really, to find puzzles that I would never have otherwise found. I've also branched out into some new brands some which I like, some which I don't, but it's helped me grow my collection quite a bit. 
I was determined to buy as many puzzles as I could because I, like everyone else, had no idea how long this pandemic would really go on and I needed something to do. But my puzzle collection has grown tremendously during this time as I've purchased well over 30 new puzzles. And I knew that for a fact, but I went ahead and counted prior to recording this podcast. I went ahead and counted how many puzzles I have. During quarantine and pandemic, I have either purchased myself or been gifted 42 puzzles. And that is since March. Almost all of those are, are a thousand pieces, but I do have one or two of those that are in the 500 piece range. But in counting my total puzzles, I have 97 now in my puzzle closet. And that has nearly doubled my stock and collection. Prior to the pandemic, I had a couple cupboards full. I moved back in February to a house and this house had a closet and this closet has become my puzzle closet. It has a lot of extra space. And let's just say that space is dwindling. There's still plenty of space in it, but having all this extra area to fill, it's kind of given my brain a permission to go buy more puzzles. And let me tell you, I have. The majority of these puzzles are a thousand pieces. The majority of those 97 are a thousand pieces. I do have a couple 2000 pieces in there as well as a handful of 500 pieces. However, I typically stick to the 1000 piece, not just because it's a nice size, but because of space restrictions in the house that I have to do these puzzles. I do have a puzzle table, but still there's, you know, somewhat space restrictions and 2000 pieces tend to be quite large. And so I tend to stick to the 1000. I'm a little bit of a picky puzzler as well. I really try not to do much under a thousand because I enjoy the challenge and also I finish them a little too quickly and it would just cause my wallet more grief because then I'd have to go buy more, which as we know is not a problem for me. Let me stop talking about puzzles for now. We'll get back to that later, but let's go ahead and get into today's main topic. So one question I have gotten a lot, even prior to doing this podcast, is what was it like growing up as a Mormon? So I thought I would tackle this topic right away. I'm not going to get into the doctrine of the church. I'm not going to get into whether I agree with the church or not, as you probably already know I don't, but I'm not really going to get into specifics of that. That will be future episodes. I wanted to touch more on what I remember and how it made me feel at the time, like the specific details I remember being a kid and feeling as being Mormon because I, I felt very out of the norm somewhat. So growing up Mormon, I definitely felt a sense of isolation. I knew I was in a unique religion and that not, almost none of my friends were in this religion with me. So I already knew I was somewhat unique but I wanted to touch base on some of the main things I remember that were normal to me, but it wasn't until I got older that I realized a lot of this was abnormal to many others. Some of these items include, you know, three hours of church every Sunday. Now I will note from my understanding that this has now changed to two hours, but the entire time I was growing up and the entire time I was in the church, 
it was three hours. And on top of that, you would have midweek activities on Wednesday nights that would last at least an hour. So I had a lot of religious interaction during the week growing up. I also remember not being allowed to play outside with friends on Sundays, which really, really sucked. I will tell you, I remember specifically looking out the window some Sundays and being like, why can't I be out there with my friends? And it, it was hard. I do remember it being hard and I didn't really understand why I couldn't. Now, I was also baptized at eight years old, which is very common in the Mormon church. That's, that's the age of accountability, I believe. I remember, you know, the scriptures and reading the scriptures all the time. And um, after my baptism, I was given, you know, a fancy set of scriptures with my name engraved on the front. And the scriptures in the Mormon church also include books outside the Bible, including the Book of Mormon, which most people know, I think. But I do also know uh, that one of the things that was hard, mostly in middle school and high school, was like clothing restrictions. You know, no tank tops and no short shorts and, you know, being very careful of how much skin that you showed. There was also, you know, beverage restrictions, which like no coffee or tea. Now, this would also include alcohol, but obviously that's not very applicable as a kid. And then another big one was not being able to swear or not being allowed to swear, which I can't say I wanted to do a lot as a kid, but I found it interesting that you weren't allowed to even if you wanted to. Now, like I said, I'm not gonna go into the doctrine side of this. I'm just gonna go into the fact that as a kid, I remember it being a little weird. So this was really all I knew growing up, but I, it wasn't until I got to be in my late teens and into early adulthood that it really started to hit me that these things were not something everyone did. And I know I already, already mentioned that, but I will tell you, it hit me like a rock. So let's take a closer look at a few of these things. I'm gonna go into a little bit more detail about a few of them. First of which being three hours of church. Now, I remember many conversations with friends about the length of time for Sunday service in the Mormon church. And like I said earlier, prior to recent years, church meetings lasted a total of three hours or so. And that was every Sunday. A couple times a year, there were some special meetings going on, and those meetings typically lasted about two hours, but almost every Sunday, meetings were about three hours. And I remember not being a fan. It was a long time. I can't imagine, and I'm pretty sure kids these days that are, that are Mormon that are still actively in the church probably don't like it either, just because it's a long time to sit still. And you got little kids running around. It can it can be a lot, but that was normal. That that's what I remember, and I I will admit it made me dread every Sunday. The older I got, the more dread there was. Uh, I also remember going to a Catholic mass with a school friend when I was in elementary, middle school. I think it was probably middle school. I was probably nine or ten. Um, but I remember thinking this was a short church service. I was used to three hours. And I think what I experienced with my friend when I went to this Catholic service was it was about an hour. And I remember thinking, dang, that's short. Um, because all I had to compare it to was three hours. And I don't recall for sure, but I imagine I may have gone home after that 
and ask my parents, what's what, what's up with three hours? Why are we going to three hours? Or like, like, why do we go to church for three hours? And I can't tell you I remember a response. So it's possible I didn't ask, but I can only imagine if I did um, some of the answers I may have gotten. But ultimately, that was my normal. Three hours of church every Sunday. And I still get laughs from people when I tell them that. But another big one for me that was tough was not playing with my friends on Sunday. And I am a very social person. This was one that really was hard for me. And I love people. As a kid, I really enjoyed, you know, hopscotch and playing house and running around the cul-de-sac that we lived in for a while. And I remember a few Sundays where I would just look outside the window, probably with a really sad look on my face, just watching the kids play. Because of course it was a weekend and kids were outside playing, especially when it was nice outside. And I remember just feeling sad and frustrated, but I never really questioned anything when I was little. Um, and when I say little, I probably should clarify that I'm talking like age six to 12. Um, before the age of six, I probably don't, I don't really recall what I thought. But probably from the time of age six and on, I can I can fairly easily remember some of the things that I felt when it came to rules and restrictions and guidelines and what I followed because of the Mormon religion. But as hard as it was being a kid and not being able to go out and play the entire weekend, I'm pretty sure it was common knowledge and really well known amongst the families and kids in the neighborhood that me and my siblings never went out to play on Sunday. We would play Saturdays, but come Sunday, we were inside or we were at church. I think it was pretty well known. And I had several, several friends at the time at school just confused by it because that's not, that wasn't their norm, but that was all I knew. Another thing I think that really was tough, and this is more in middle school and high school was, and probably more high school, was clothing restrictions and clothing rules and guidelines. You know, no, no tank tops, no short shorts or short skirts. You know, we were told to be very careful about how much skin we showed. And so, especially during the summertime, when the weather got warmer, I would see neighbors and friends, whether they were at the pool or just outside with, you know, other people, you know, whether it would be going to the movies or any stores or the mall where people were wearing the, what I used to call skimpier outfits, which was shorter shorts, tank tops, and they were showing more skin. And that wasn't something I was allowed to do. And I will tell you, even to this day, sometimes I will put a tank top on and my brain will go to, oh crap, I probably shouldn't wear this. I'm mostly to the point now where it doesn't bug me too much. I still will think about it from time to time, but I've more or less gotten over the thought of, hmm, maybe I shouldn't wear this. But anyone who knows me knows that I wear a lot of tank tops now, so I've gotten over it mostly, but that was something that I really had to deal with as a kid. Now let's get on to talking about swearing because this is a big one for me. Now, I may be mistaken, but I think it's a fairly well-known fact that swearing and cursing is something that Mormons don't do. And part of the reason that R-rated movies and, well, really even PG-13 movies were not allowed in my house growing up is because many of them had curse words, and we weren't allowed to watch them. 
Uh, my parents didn't want that language in the house. And so same with certain TV shows, really. We weren't allowed to watch them. And I think a lot of it had to do with the foul language. Now, yes, some of that had to do with sexual references and probably just overall violent themes. But I think the bad language was probably the biggest aspect of it. Now, my parents at one point opted for a device, and I don't remember the exact name of it, and I probably shouldn't mention it even if I did, but this device filtered out foul language and replaced words and phrases that it deemed inappropriate with cleaner versions. So a swear word would pop up and it would replace it with something cleaner. So let's just use the word ass it would replace it with butt or bum or something along those lines, probably bum because that's the cleaner version of that. But stuff like that, it, it would take those swear words and just replace them. And typically what I remember is it would mute it and it would put the clean version as a caption on the screen. So you wouldn't actually hear that word spoken, but you could read it. Funny thing is, is you still knew what these people were talking about, especially the older I got and the more I could conceptualize context, I knew exactly what word was being muted. So I don't know that it was super helpful, but my parents still didn't want those words in the house. And so, you know, I, I remember specifically this, this device doing this. Um, now, I will admit my memory is a little bit hazy on some of the words it would use, but to this day, there are a few that I still remember. And the one I remember specifically is instead of the word sex, it would put the word hug on the screen. Now, that's a very tame version of sex, obviously, but it they really don't have anything to do with each other either. And I will tell you, these words are still linked to my brain because anytime the word hug is mentioned, I kind of giggle. And it's not always external giggle, but I, I will laugh and it'll trigger like this thought in my brain of, oh, somebody wants to hug me oh that means sex so even to this day when my sister and i are together and we hear the word hug we kind of give each other this look and just kind of laugh because we we know what we're both thinking we're both thinking of the word sex and it's just because those words i think are forever going to be linked in our brain now from what i understand these devices do still exist or products similar to it do and i'm sure they've gotten better about what words they use but I mean, this was back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And so I think these products have probably gotten better, but these are the kind of things that I dealt with and they were normal to me because anytime I would go to a friend's house and watch something and a swear word would pop up, I think I probably had a really shocked look on my face. Like, wait, TVs aren't supposed to swear. What, what happened to the, you know, this, this device that is supposed to filter those out? And I specifically remember thinking that. And my friends probably thought I was a little bit crazy. But point being, no swearing in our house. And even to the point of filtering stuff out via this device. Now, all these things are, and things that I've mentioned, were, like I said, very much everyday life, the normal um, to me as a kid, but as I got older and was able to talk to friends about stuff, they pointed out that this was not what everybody did and not how everybody functioned. But for Mormons and for me and my family, it was. It's all I knew. 
uh, I will also point out that these rules and guidelines and, and somewhat restrictions were also what I followed at BYU. It's called the Honor Code at BYU. At least these things I have mentioned are part of the Honor Code at BYU. But these were stuff, this is stuff I followed up into, well into my adulthood. Stuff that, like I said, is weird to other people, but it's all I really knew. Now, growing up Mormon, it influenced and dictated everything I did. And I will say I am appreciative of it in some ways, as I think it did help create the ethical and responsible person I am today. But it, it wasn't all positive. There was some negative some ways very many negative impacts it had on my life. Well, uh, that's all I have for you today. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Lindy, and this is Life in Pieces. Until next time. Mm -hmm.